Welcome to Surviving Academia, a podcast about surviving in the pre-apocalyptic hellscape of the academy. In each episode, we share self-care techniques and talk about surviving in academic careers. We hope you enjoy this episode. If you like what you hear and want to support our show, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Got something to say? Let us know on Twitter, at SurvivingPhD, or on Facebook. All right, should we, should we do this thing? Sure. Yeah. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Surviving Academia. I am Zach. I am an adjunct. I am Rachel, and I actually got a new position that I'm going to talk to you guys about on today's episode. Cool. I am Kristen, and I'm a graduate student who has been sick all week. It's awful. So if I sound weird, it's because I'm sick. But that's you, why you always sound weird. That's why we I love know. you. Aww. I know. But we 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 have um, puppy snuggles for you. It's true. They're medicinal. They are medicinal puppy <laughs> snuggles. I am a doctor. I can write prescriptions. <gasps> I asked you for one this I week. I know. Actually, Kristen did ask me for a prescription, and I sent her um, a prescription. I, I sent you a prescription for a new nose, right? Exactly. And I said, I can't remember what I said, but I was like, love Dr. Bauer. So how's everybody doing this week? Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, um, got some bites on the job market. That's Yay. all I'm, that's all I'm going to say. Cause I don't want to tip my hat too far, but, uh, you know, giving me some, uh, Room for optimism uh, this good. week to, to hear back from some potential opportunities. That's good. Uh, so like I said, I've had the flu all week. And I don't know what it was about like this round of the flu, but it is like brutal. I've been like down for the count. Um, so I'm going on like a week now. And like I just have been too sick, of course, to like work on my dissertation, but like not sick enough, too sick that I couldn't watch movies. So I feel like I've caught up on so many movies yeah let me tell you the highlights the lego movie is like my jam have you guys oh seen my it God. it's, it's no, kind I of adorable oh my it. goodness so i loved it so much I, I, I watched it with my um two nephews while i was oh, in jersey so cute uh, is that one of those jersey that's visit. good for all ages yes. yeah yeah totally. Okay. they thoroughly enjoyed it and i was cracking up <laughs> it's it, like there's so many things that he says that is just like ma- reminds me of grad school. That is just, it just made me laugh. Um, I got to watch the Queen movie, Bohemian Rhapsody. That was oh, really good. Oh, I was thinking like the Queen as in, you know, Helen Mirren is oh. the Queen. And I was like, I love a good Helen Mirren. I do too. <laughs> that too. That might be on the list. But no, it's been really difficult because I just, you know, I'm not sleeping and. I can't breathe and then I have all this academic guilt because I'm not getting all my stuff done. And honestly, it I just kind of had to like mentally set that aside. And then I got bad news on Friday and then I got even more bad news on Friday. So my paper that I wrote has was rejected. And just honestly, it's just been kind of a rough week. So like on top of being sick, it just has felt like it's kind of piling up and um I've been trying to just really be nice to myself and watch more movies and <laughs> and try to just keep moving forward. So if you have any good words of advice, I like need it because it's just like, I don't know, there's so much uncertainty that it's just kind of it's easy to just like throw your hands up and be like, 
what am I doing? Like, does my work have value? It's like it spirals when you're like already not feeling good. Yeah, it's definitely in in the academic setting, you know, the adage when it rains, it pours is often relevant because we experience so much rejection and it clusters, um, you know, the good stuff happens infrequently and then, but you know, it can really snowball to, to get rejected from like five things at once. Yeah. You spend your whole life proposing things, um, and only a few of them works. So I'm, yeah, I'm sorry that your week has been, uh, unpleasant and hopefully the next one will be better. Well, I also thought when I was like kind of like beating myself up for being sick, it's like I remembered when I worked full time and like had sick days and like you just took a sick day and it Mm -hmm. was fine. And so I think because we don't have some of those regular securities, like if I had sick days, I would have taken one and not felt bad about it. I would have just relaxed all day and like recouped and like you know, done those things. And so I think because we don't have the type of employment that it's just such an all encompassing employment that it like lends itself well to like, you know, just feeling nonproductive or like whatever. It's like, yeah, when I worked full time, I'd get sick. I took a sick day and that was that. And so that's just kind of what I had to remind yeah. myself of. You know, I, I think I had what you have now like two weeks ago. Did you give me this plague? I don't know. Transmitted I seen via you, computer. I haven't seen you in person <laughs> <laughs> to do that. But um, yeah, I, I teach uh, evening seminar classes, like three hour long classes now. And I was getting sick and I felt really bad, but I was like, I can't cancel my seminar class because that's literally like canceling an entire week of class at once. Uh, and so I just bucked it up and taught class sick and it was terrible and I wish I didn't have to, but it's just like, like you're saying, it's the nature of discipline is like a sick day doesn't just doesn't seem feasible. How are you, Rachel? Uh, good. It's been a crazy couple of weeks. Um, but overall good. So the reason it's been a crazy couple of weeks is because I actually accepted a new job. Yay! And uh, listeners, it's not actually a job that you would maybe expect uh, um, me to get. Um, but it's not quite alt-ac because it's still in a higher ed institution. But So I'm not exactly sure how to categorize it because it's not faculty. But anyway... So I'll just lay it out there. Like admin? I guess it's kind of admin. Kind of, I mean, yeah. like, I have a senior co- coordinating. You have a grad student. Can I we have please a, yes. talk about that? Rachel oh has God. acquired a graduate <laughs> student. She went over to the dark side. Admin. I know. I know. So, um, listeners, I accepted uh, a little while ago now, but I, I don't know why, but I... I took a, a while. It's been rolling out slowly as far as me um, telling the world. But I accepted a um, position within our office of research um, to work on outreach and engagement initiatives. That's awesome. Um, which are so, so, so important for faculty, staff, graduate students, administrators even to do as we are bringing the work of the university out into um, the state and beyond and it's been really really enjoyable work and there's a bit of research in there there's a bit of teaching um yeah it's really exciting 
it's mm-hmm. been so it's been a little bit crazy uh, because uh, my job has been really ramping up since I started about February one, I think. Um, yeah, and I have to admit, it's not a path I thought I would be taking. You know, I never thought I'd get a PhD and then go into admin work right away. I always thought admin work might be down the line. Um, And I'm not completely giving up on kind of my Mm -hmm. goal of being a faculty member one day. Uh, But I love this job. And I, I honestly get to use theater so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm teaching science communication workshops now. I'm, I'm working so on research communication initiatives. Uh, um, so yeah, that's what's been going on in our my life. So cool, and that's awesome. Yeah, everybody lives. reach out and congratulate Rachel. Oh, thank yeah. you. Uh, yeah, and that actually goes really well with. I think you'll have a lot to say on the uh, topic of today's show, uh, which we could get into in a minute. But first, we should probably do a commercial. Absolutely. So today's episode is brought to you by Campus Squirrels. Squirrel. (laughs) A staple on any campus, these tiny creatures flit about carelessly and freely, their only concern being the nuts that bring them sustenance and the birds that would call them prey. Every campus has their own special type of squirrel, too. Squirrel. Unique from all other squirrels in the world because of, like, the water or the books or something. I don't know. But the squirrels here in Missouri are totally different than the ones where I grew up. And that's just really weird. Side note, like, parenthetical. (laughs) Be more like the campus squirrel. squirrel. Live in the moment and let your fear be momentary and abject rather than perpetual and future focused. Did you guys write this for me? I'm feeling like... (laughs) Did you guys know that there's a squirrel on campus here who is so docile it'll lay on the sidewalk and you can pet it? What? It tried Ugh. to take it's tried to steal my pen. Wow. What an I didn't pet creature. it, but yeah, it I literally just came up and was like, give me should. I know. And so I didn't, but I it came up. I still want it to, though. It walked up to me and was being so, so cute. And I was like, hi, squirrel. And I didn't want to pet it. And then I had my pen and I kind of put my pen towards it and it like grabbed my pen and was like this is my pen and it was like i was like no like dude i'm going to a meeting this is my only pen that's like all i need is to be bit by this squirrel i know well okay so zach you you have this episode for us today and i'd like to know know a little bit about what you're what you got for us yeah so for this episode uh i've been meaning to interview my department chair for a while um i think she's a, a a great um uh, like speaker of the experience of the academics. She's just such an articulate person. And so when I went to uh, ask her to be on the podcast, she came up with the topic of uh, academics in the media because she does a ton of media interviews. Um, and uh, the interview will will come later in the episode. Uh, but I wanted to ask you all if you have ever been in the media for your academic work. Yes, I my work with um, creativity and teaching uh, theater methods to engineers was in, along with the rest of the people who worked on it, we were in one news story locally. Same. I've had one, um, one article um, from a former student who, like, wanted to ask questions about balancing, like, uh, like women in work, women in the workplace. And so it was quite the terrifying experience. I think um, you didn't ask this, but 
I think what makes it nerve wracking is I feel like we're in this like weird media time, especially, I mean, on campus in particular, also, you know, where we are specifically, there's this like fear of this like gotcha kind of like media where you just are really kind of leery of giving like quotes. And um, so the student had messaged me, asked if I would, you know, could it be interviewed and then I said, I will be interviewed as long as I get to approve the quotes mm. that go into the mm-hmm. story. So you say gotcha, and that automatically made me think of Joan Calamezzo's gotcha. Joan, Parks gotcha. And gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Parks and Rec. God, I just haven't seen it. You you can't play with Lil Sebastian anymore until you watch it. <laughs> so that's that's in like an overblown like representation of a legitimate fear though that like absolutely you know uh, especially if you're not a pundit and you're only an expert in your one thing um that they might try to get you to say something that isn't true or try to like trap you into like a larger pundit narrative mm-hmm. uh, which i don't think that you know your your student who is you know doing probably doing it for a journalism class or something like that probably wasn't their agenda but you know it's it's always possible that they'll misrepresent you sounds like you're more afraid of like the student aspect than the journalist aspect yeah because i think if you're an actual journalist no no i don't know i disagree i think there's like right now you can turn something into a soundbite can be easily sold and turned into and end up on these like weird websites. It's not like it's completely uncommon for a graduate student to have said something and it be put on the, you know, a website have picked it up and put it been put out there. So no, I don't think that's a like a crazy like idea. Um, I just think Maybe the type of journalists and the type of people who maybe are attracted to like what I have to say at this stage in my career are maybe not the type of journalists that are from the best or most reputable uh, places. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's like not necessarily like the journalists who I feel like, I mean, these are journalists in training. Like (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's, it's not like people who are like employed by other things. And I do think you know, with lives that are on the internet and exposed, I just, it really gives me pause. See, mm-hmm. I would take a different angle to that and say that if they don't interview you, who is the expert on, uh, you know, environmental risk, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, whoever's area of expertise, if they don't interview you, the expert, they're going to find someone who will say something about it who isn't an expert. Um, or who has has a completely different um, and biased agenda towards it, and and quote them. So like, I feel like even the risk of of being misrepresented, you do a service to go out there and talk about your research, uh, compared to um, you know just hanging hanging on to it and letting the non experts dominate the conversation. The one uh, piece, and I've been asked to be interviewed a few times, and the one piece that I said yes to, um, I felt like I had a good working relationship with the person who was writing the story, and mm-hmm. I asked to make sure that my um, quotes were being represented in the way that I wanted them to, and it was a positive experience. I guess that's my like my thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I've been interviewed a lot more for a lot of the... Um, student leadership and stuff that I did as a graduate student 
Um, I did a lot of interviews there for a while, and I always felt that too. And with when you're talking about research communication, though, it's a little bit different as an academic because there are some people whose research maybe doesn't jive with the political affiliation of the majority of you know the legislative members of the state, um, or may go against something, or maybe the majority of the members of the university and that that politics. So um, I think it's always good to. I firmly believe in getting research out there. I can understand people being cautious, but I think most importantly, it's, and I say this from the position of the new job I have, um, it's really important for us to be communicating our research and um, not just to the public, but to each other. So many people don't understand um, what their colleagues or don't even know what their colleagues are doing on the same college campus, sometimes in the same department. Um, and it's really important for us to be talking about all of the wonderful things happening at colleges and universities and why it's important that people are paid to do research. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. agree the, the more that academics are represented in the media, hopefully the more, uh, you know, more people see their work as worthwhile. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you guys want to hear my story? I have a awesome, sure. hilarious story. Sure. Um, so I, I taught a class called social deviance, uh, uh, several years ago. And one of the students in there, uh, had a friend who was a journalism major. And I did this lesson on, um, women, uh, in video games and gaming culture and their sort of underrepresentation, uh, or the women that are represented are only represented in certain roles as, you know, the helpless, uh, princess and blah, 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 um, that needs to be rescued. And, uh, so I, uh, this student's friend, uh, heard about it and contacted me for, uh, an interview. She wanted to do a segment for one of her, uh, journalism capstone projects on, uh, the idea of women gamers. And, uh, so I did it. I did the interview. I talked a lot about what I did in the class. And then, uh, at the interview, at the conclu conclusion of the interview, I said, so, uh, uh, what women did you find to interview for this project? And I got this stare from her, like, oh, crap, I, pr I should probably interview women. <laughs> yeah, she's she just going to interview me. I'm super glad you said that to her, though, and made her think that way, because so often we're, we aren't conscious of the voices we're representing. Yeah, mm, that's a good so point. So that was a good, probably teachable moment for her. Yeah, and that's, I think it's important to do, at least from my perspective, to do interviews with uh, especially student journalists Mm -hmm. um, as a sociologist, cause they don't always necessarily get the, like, uh, the same kind of, uh, critical thinking towards diversity in the training, uh, to be a journalist. Mm -hmm. Uh, so if we can interact with, with journalism students and talk about our research and, you know, maybe that'll push them in, in the right direction, uh, later on in their careers. So Zach, when you started looking into this topic, what did you find? Uh, well, uh, I've found a couple of resources. There's a couple of op-eds. I'll post one from The Guardian uh, that uh, uh, interviews several academics, and they talk about how their um, uh, move to uh, engage with the media and doing interviews and presenting the research to the public has made them better communicators about their research um, and better, you know, better thinkers about it. Uh, more clear writers. Um, there's also a couple of different uh, resources for academics that want to be 
you know, want to start uh, interfacing with the media, there's the op-ed project. Um, and I'll post this. It's a nonprofit whose major mission is to amplify uh, the voices of um, women and academics in particular by um, placing them with mentors uh, in like think tanks and, and the media to like be better communicators to the general public about their research. Um, mm-hmm. Then there's a, a for-profit experimental communications um, that trains uh, academics to uh, do interviews and whatnot. Well, that's cool. I'll that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely want to check that out. Yeah, I'll post all this on the on the website as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of it too, right? Like, I think my like fear and hesitancy about all this is because we're just not really trained in how to you know, translate what we do to a popular audience. Mm-hmm. And so, wow, those those sources will be very helpful, yeah. I would assume. Also, we should listen to the interview because Amanda talks about that. Awesome. Oh, cool. yeah, yeah, let's listen to it. I'm a sociologist and chair of the sociology department, as well as the director of faculty development at the University of Indianapolis. Well, thank you for joining me today, Amanda. Thank you for having me. Um, I know you have a very busy schedule, uh, and you do a lot of interviews, don't you? (laughs) I do. (laughs) That's right. Okay, so when um, you suggested uh, talking to the media as a topic, I was like, well, that could mean a lot of different things, but you, you do talk to the media. So when that topic comes to mind, who do you usually think about talking to? Like, who do you think you're going to sit down with when you think of the media? Well, when I think of the media, I'm typically thinking about television, but there's also print media, and then there's a public form of scholarship through something like a blog. Okay, so, you, so you've done interviews where your, your presentation is repeated verbatim and other times where it's transcribed, can transcribed or summarized. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, what... Uh, What is your favorite to do? What is your least favorite to do? I think I prefer television and live radio the best. So live is my favorite because it scares me. (laughs) Okay, okay. It gets the blood pumping, right? So it's always nice to do those things that you're a little bit afraid of. And that, I think, for me, is is my favorite. Um, The safest is probably print media, particularly if you have the opportunity to edit. But then blogging is fun, too, because that way I'm talking to not just other academics or somebody who happened to catch it that day, but I can really tailor my audience. Yeah, oh, that's that's a good point. So how often do you think you get interviewed for just, like, a very, very wide general audience, and what what mm. media what media <laughs> uh, do, you, do you usually see a more tailored audience for? Right, so typically for that wide general audience, that's more television-focused. Okay. Um, and that would be something ranging from local to you know regional kind of kind of focus um radio more national on that on that aspect but also some local wow so okay so what do you usually talk about what do people want to interview so for for me people want to hear about one of two things they want to hear about cohabitation or they want to hear about the relationship between household labor and sexual frequency and satisfaction Okay, so essentially your research topic. My research yeah, topic. Okay. Yes. So that's that's another thing I wanted to ask is how what like proportion of the academic world people that are professors like you 
will eventually interface with the media because of their topic of expertise. Do you think that yours is exceptionally interesting? I do. But <laughs> do, you think, do you think that um, you get a disproportionately high number of interviews because of, because of what you're interested in? Well, it's interesting to me, but that doesn't mean that it's exceptionally interesting in some way. Um, well, I'm a, I'm a sociologist, too. So <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, I think that certainly the kinds of topics that I study do lend themselves naturally to more media appearances because many people are in relationships and they want to hear about relationships. But at the same time, I've done a lot of outreach, and in particular with our, our marketing department, um, to where I can get my voice heard on a wider spectrum. So you've intentionally sought out some more Absolutely. Uh, media. Okay. Absolutely. So I've sought out media appearances in two ways. So one is when I have a new paper or a, a new presentation coming out, I make sure that I inform our marketing department right away. But I also give them a couple of spins that could occur on it. So I let them know this would be a good good thing to talk about on this outlet or that one. Okay. Um, the other thing that I do is I make myself generally available. So this is something that I think particularly new faculty may be afraid of doing, but on the local news, they're always looking for interest pieces. You don't have to be an expert on a particular subtopic to say something about your area. So if you understand your area at the 101 level, and I think all academics do, or yeah, at least we all yeah. should, that's enough to comment for that 15 second soundbite on the local news. So if something pops up that looks interesting in your community or even in the national stage, to reach out to your marketing department and say, hey, I have something that I'd like to contribute to this conversation is a good start. And so you found that your market, like being in touch with the marketing department is how you most often um, get those opportunities to, to be in the media? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. 100%. And then once you do that, it sort of is a perpetuating cycle. So once you get the ball rolling and your name is out there a little bit, then you start getting contacts from journalists okay. that are direct contact. Okay. And so how many people uh, here at this institution or maybe just more broadly how many other people do you know that use the marketing department in that mm. way? I mean, I'm especially interested in, you know, social scientists I've always thought uh, should spend more time being in the, in the public sphere um, and getting noticed and talking about our better understanding of social problems than pundits. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, compare what you do to, you know, say a bioengineering person mm -hmm. and what, uh, you know, what do you offer and why Why would you maybe someone find you more or less in the media than, than somebody who's doing bioengineering? Well, the key for academics, whether you're a sociologist or a bioengineer or an underwater basket weaver, is to be able to take <laughs> your knowledge and soundbite it. And soundbite it for a generally educated audience. So I use what I kind of in my head call the your mom test, right? Mm -hmm. If my mom is listening to me talk about this topic, does she understand what I'm communicating in some way? And so sometimes as academics, we get way too deep into our own specialized area, and we forget that we're not talking to one another when we do media appearances. We're talking to somebody who's listening to this and they'll drive home on the car, or they've got the six o'clock news on. So we just need to be better at explaining what we do in um, more palatable ways. Okay. Yeah, and it's good to be in that practice regardless, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. If you can't explain it in 20 words or less, you don't really have a good handle on oh, it. Oh, that's so tough. <laughs> um, I actually make all of our new faculty who go through orientation um, give us a like I'm five version of their dissertation. Oh, and boy. I can't tell you how complicated that is for a lot of people. And the other thing is they're limited to 10 words or less. 
So we end up with mechanical engineers, for example, saying things like, I study knots, <laughs> right? But the reason that I have them do that is because that's how we're able to connect with one another across disciplines as well. Mm -hmm. So if I say I study families, somebody else in nursing might study families or in public health might study families or, you know, it, it, in lots of different fields. But until I boil it down to those simplest terms, we're talking across one another. Well, that's, that's a great insight. You know, I did the, I did the three-minute thesis competition at my school. And, what you're talking about just takes that to a whole nother degree, but I, I agree with its, you know, sort of inherent usefulness in, in bridging that gap between expert and layperson. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so I have another question. I have several more questions. You can, you can, if you feel like I'm skipping over anything, feel free to sure. interrupt me and add it. Um, what was your first experience? with how did you feel during your first experience uh, doing a, an interview for the media versus how you felt in your most recent experience? Oh my. <laughs> so my very first media experience was on, I believe, if I'm remembering right, was on a live version of Here Now. So the NPR show. And the answer wow. is terrified. Went straight to national media. <laughs> Skip over that, right? Skip over all the other stuff. Terrified. Um, I was absolutely terrified, but in general, we're not doing the kind of media where we have gotcha journalists right, that are right. looking for, they want to help us with this, they want to make it easy on us, and so, terrified. They want to make us sound smart, right? That's right, they yeah. want to make us sound smart. Uh, so I think that, and they really are soliciting a particular opinion from us, um, and, and if, you, if you use some of your emotional intelligence that we all have, you can kind of figure out where they're headed, but also steer the conversation in the direction you want it to go. Mm -hmm. My most recent media appearance, oh gosh, let me think. Um, it was a, a probably a 90 second over the phone interview for a local radio station okay. who wanted to talk about Valentine's Day. Oh yeah, and the, as a sociologist, that's right. something, something, <laughs> at least 90 seconds worth of stuff to say about that's that. That's right, yeah. so I always reach out to our marketing department in a couple of critical moments in the year that seem to make sense for the work that I do. Mm -hmm. So I always reach out at Valentine's Day, and then right before June, wedding season begins. Okay, so is, there, is there a role to you know like publish a list of available people to talk about, or do they just re repeatedly receive calls? Um, from, from news right. outlets looking for people. So this likely occurs very differently at different locations, different universities. But I can tell you, the, the couple that I've been involved in, one of them um, has had the job of seeking out expertise. So saying, I have faculty members who can comment on X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they're also taking in incoming calls particularly from more local sources, who are able to say, oh, we have a faculty member who can comment on that. And so I will occasionally get emails that say, can you talk about this topic today? Mm. And I'll either say, yes, I can, or no, I can't. Um, and so practical piece of advice, make sure you keep something nice to wear <laughs> in oh, your yeah, office yeah. at all times. <laughs> because but... the day you paint the house and wear that sweatshirt <laughs> yeah. is the day that they want to put you on air. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Or at least, or at least a shirt. That's right. Have a blazer. I call it yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I don't know this if this particular will make it on, but I I went to Missouri is um, one of the top journalism programs in the country, so mm -hmm. the town is just littered with journalists everywhere. So I have been in the paper so many. I actually on my website I collected just the last two years I mm -hmm. lived there. I had thirty links to different articles oh, in wow. which I was quoted. Um, and well, part of it was being on a city commission. 
but I, I totally get that like the first time I went on a radio show to talk about my research I was like <laughs> and it was lo- you know it was, lo- it was just a local public radio station right. and you know like maybe a hundred people listening at most and, but it was and then and then the last time I sat down with 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 someone there is like yeah here's X Y and Z blah 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 right so why do you think it is important for academics to be uh, seen in the media and what are some potential drawbacks to academics mm-hmm. being seen in the media? So we are at a time politically when truth and facts are under attack. And yeah. it's exceptionally crucial for us to be not just the stereotypical egghead in the ivory tower who is only talking to the other 10 people who study our subspecialty, but to show that we are actually creating and disseminating knowledge and knowledge that's useful and has relevance for people's everyday lives. Absolutely. Now the drawback side. Yes. Can you think of any? The drawback side. Tip number two, turn off the comment section. Oh, God. <laughs> well, I never follow that tip. I'm so bad about that, but I should. Yeah. If you, like me, are at all thin-skinned, um, that's a hard element of it, is that you open yourself up to criticism in a way that you wouldn't otherwise open yourself up to criticism. We don't hear the things our students say behind our backs, and they're often not saying things that are that mean because they know us and they know us as full people, right? Right, right. That's not true for a comment section. So maybe not comments, but have you ever received, like, like any sort of correspondence after being in the media not not saying like death threats because we i mean there's there's really extreme cases where people get that but you know somebody looks you up and says i think you were wrong about blah 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 when i heard you on this and that i i don't enjoy some of this some of what i receive in the mail so occasionally i'll receive um a letter from a correctional facility or something that is and inappropriate and not necessarily related to From asking an academic question. Prisoner. That's right. Okay. That's right. So occasionally an inmate will ask, um, yeah, something inappropriate. Interesting. But what is fun for me is I sometimes also get some kind of cute inquiries. So the most recent one is that it, it was a grandfather who had heard me on NPR, and he he wanted some advice for his grandfather, his granddaughter who was moving in with her boyfriend. Oh, <laughs> so those oh, okay. sorts of things, you know, that's kind of that's fun sweet, to, to receive sweet. those sorts of inquiries. Absolutely. And then you can say, well, statistically speaking, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Okay, um, I, I just have one more question, sure. and then you can talk about uh, the stuff that you thought as well. Uh, but do you have any tips or tricks for academics uh, or professors on communicating their ideas um, when their audience is essentially invisible? How do you how do you think about addressing an audience that's on the other side of the camera that may be huge, but you can't see their facial reactions, you can't know how they're going to react? How do you how do you because you know we as as teachers have to go from communicating ideas to one-on-one to communicating them in a room of 30 or more to communicating in a room of 500 or more. But what about when the audience is invisible? So if the audience is invisible, you really, this is where you just have to know yourself and be true to who you are. If you are normally a pretty outgoing person, there's no reason mm-hmm. to treat the camera as anything different than you than you would. Sometimes people will say, envision somebody who you're speaking to. Maybe, you know, your dentist wants to know about your research and right. how are you going to talk to your <laughs> dentist about this today? So I, I don't know that there's any magic to it beyond practice. Okay. Yeah. All right. How, how would one uh, practice other than just doing it over and yes. over, do like practice in a mirror or... So here's something great. 
talk to your marketing department because they may offer some supports with this. So I know that whenever I have a sticky subject I'm asked to comment on, frequently abortion, um, I will certainly have somebody from our marketing department who is there with me that day. We meet ahead of time and he or she says, is there anything you want to make sure we're not talking about? Are there any points you want to make sure that you do manage to get in? They'll take a few notes. And so what will happen is since we're not rolling live on something like that, I'll sometimes stop and say, all right, can you give me a better word for, the last time I did that, I said, could you give me a better word for witch hunt? <laughs> so we, we paused and we came up with something like that. So have somebody there with you, if that makes sense in the, in the context that you're okay. in. Yes, as someone who's an expert in and, what and, you're about to do. And, yeah. and, right, and that's who I'm talking to, is I'm talking to our marketing communication staff. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's that's also <laughs> really good advice. Yeah, it's very helpful. Um, did you have some things that yeah, you... Yeah, I do. I have a couple of points. Things that I've thought about in the past um, that are super important, particularly if you're doing something live. One is develop a skill in bridging. You're going to get asked some off-the-wall questions that you just have zero knowledge in. Mm-hmm. And if you're live... You can't just say no. <laughs> Start with, well, that's stop, an interesting right? question, right. and then take a minute to pivot. <laughs> so we were looking at data most recently of, of um, that we collected in 2003, and the question was live for a national audience of, you know, what do your couples think about online dating? Well, in 2003, online dating wasn't nearly as big of a phenomenon as it, as it is now. And so I have to answer the question of, well, you know, at the time mm-hmm. that they were interviewed, this wasn't really a phenomenon. But today, what we would expect is... So you have to bridge to what you really want to get to answer as, to, as opposed to just saying, nope, I <laughs> didn't look at it. <laughs> That's something that, I, that people could practice as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Another tip is don't get stuck if they're trying to push you in a particular direction. So we had a local political event that occurred. It became very clear to me that the local reporter had things that they wanted me to say. Right? Mm-hmm. They wanted me to critique this local politician, and I just wasn't willing to do that. You know, I knew about the topic, but I didn't necessarily know the politician and his experiences. And so even though they're asking leading questions, don't you think that politician X really should have? What a great journalist. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? I'll pull it back to a much more general area and say, well, anytime a situation like this comes up, it's important to keep in mind X, Y, Z. Now, ultimately, that interview did not air. And it probably didn't air because I didn't go where they wanted me to go. But that's fine. Yeah. Far safer to stay on that level of, of disengaged expert, friendly expert, than it is to, to dig yourself into a hole. And speaking of leading questions, I think that gets to something I was leading at before, which is the pitfall of they might get you to say something that they want you to say, and then all of a sudden you're you look like the bad person. Exactly. Yeah, when you didn't when you didn't really mean to say that. Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. To that end, you have got to learn to soundbite. And as academics, we are terrible at that. But that newspaper reporter is going to use, what, two sentences from you? Yeah. yeah. And whenever you're on the nightly news, they're going to pull 20 seconds at most. So if you have this long-winded, lengthy explanation that takes you a long time to get around to something, they may pull the wrong section of that the section yeah. that you don't want yeah. them to use that's not really the fleshed out context. Yeah, I can sympathize with that. I was I did some door knocking for a political campaign a few years ago. A reporter showed up on the trail, followed me to a few houses, and I talked to him for 15 minutes. And the thing that he pulled out of, of me talking for 15 minutes straight was, I'm doing this because it's something I really believe in. Which, uh, like, right. you could have just not interviewed that's me and right. put that in there anyway. <laughs> but well, I, I think you're right that, like, give, like, 
being concise will end up being precise in how it's reported. The more you give them, the less you have control of your message. Have you seen that comic that's the PhD comics for the science news cycle? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, it's fantastic. It's like how scientists have this, like, A causes B, but only under condition C, D, and E, and only in circumstance F. Yeah. And then what yeah. happens is, like, your local media picks it up, and it's like, A causes B! <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. And then the internet picks it up, and it's like, A causes B, and it's Obama's fault! Right? <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. it ends up, you just have to be really careful to, to clarify right. what you mean. Right, and communicating, like, statistical, oh, like, no, you can't say happen. X causes Y. No. There's no, there's no reason <laughs> no, for that. Absolutely. You can say... We think there might be a reason to think that, you know, X yes. causes Y, but there's a lot of caveats to that, and that if, doesn't make for a good sound bite. If your university puts out press releases, which is wonderful if they do, ask to review those before they go out, because that's what happens You in mean that if you're included interim. in it? That's right. Oh, okay. If it's, it's, okay. If it's about you, because what you want to say is X is associated with Y, that's going to turn in, if you're not careful, to X causes Y, right? Yeah. So that's yeah. it. Um, and then I think my last tip is it is never as bad as you think. <laughs> yeah. And I will fully admit here to leaving a radio interview. I was in the studio. I, le I made it out of the studio. I got to my car and I burst into tears. Um, and I, I called someone who does a lot of interviews on campus and was like, what do I do next? And she said, one, it's not as bad as you think. Two, get back on the horse and go to another interview tomorrow if you can. Um, and finally, you know, sitting down and listening to the to the the recording of it she was right <laughs> it wasn't yeah. as bad as I yeah. thought there are things that I could learn and improve from it but it wasn't a tragedy <laughs> I feel like we have to keep relearning that lesson as oh, academics in, in so many different realms absolutely like absolutely. we're you know you don't get to have a PhD or even get into a graduate program if you're not pretty smart and competent exactly. and, and accomplished like right. there's only so the, the bottom is only so low for, for what we can achieve. Yes. Yeah. If you're your authentic self, that covers up a lot of, a lot of multitudes of sins. So think about the, the poor professor who was doing the interview and his kids came into the room. I remember right? that. That, that was adorable. People loved him because that's just an authentic thing to do. Or the professor recently who pulled the cat off of his head. <laughs> I, don't I don't think I saw that. Oh, yeah. that but it's just people being themselves and that connects other people respect that they understand that yeah. life happens and the only person who's going to listen to this twice is your mom so don't, even if you mess it up the first time nobody remembers after that this particular interview probably the person who listened to my twice is my sister oh there you go there you go <laughs> but yes. same same difference although although she's just as educated as i am <laughs> people who already know and love us right yeah 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 exactly um, so do you have any other any closing thoughts? I think that's it. I would just encourage people, get out there and do it. Give it a try. You have the expertise. Even if you think you're not an expert, yes, you are. Yeah, you are. Awesome. Great advice. <laughs> thanks, for, uh, thanks for sitting down today with me, Amanda. Of course. Thank you.
Okay, I have a lot of thoughts after that interview, which I thought was really fantastic. Um, I so because I do some of this work, I work with faculty and graduate students, postdocs, getting their research out to the public, and I do. I've started doing science communication training and research communication work, and so this was super exciting for me to hear. And I love how, um, like, she really talked about how this is important work to do um, and that, you know, she talked about their marketing department a lot. And uh, at our university, the News Bureau is fantastic at working with researchers to get out press releases and stories about their research. Um, And they just do a really good job kind of crafting that research story for your media reader. Um, I know some awesome people who work there and have worked there and they're just great. Um, I really love that. She told us to turn off the comments section because never. I know. I still need to learn that. I I love how she talked about, we can't just kind of dive so far into our research that um, we get like so far in the weeds that we forget to even like, Uh, so we forget to bring our research to where other people are. And I always think of that when I'm working on this work and talking to people about how to communicate their research. It's like, even with our own people in our own department, we still have to welcome people in, right? You can't just start with this really, really deep understanding with this concept if you haven't like opened the door. That's great. Um, So I like that. And the one thing I always tell people I work with is like, you also have to remember that your audience is intelligent, I think we kind of have this idea of if we're going to talk about our research to people who are not academics, that we have to quote unquote, dumb it down, which is my biggest pet peeve. I cannot stand when people say they're going to dumb it down or they just say, well, I just have to remove all jargon. Like that's not it. Like the people you're talking to and um, the people who are reading your story or listening to your news segment, they are intelligent. They are probably intelligent in ways that you are not intelligent because intelligences can be vast and many and all different things and so i really love that she kind of just told people to kind of start with the basic and i love how she said that we have to boil our research down to like one sentence and you brought the three minute thesis i cringed at that point in the interview not i knew she wasn't going to make me do that like describe my research in that and that's that's one of the things that like we have to force ourselves to to simplify not dumb it down, but, you know, be able to describe it in, in a few brief words. Uh, and that's, and that's hard to do. That's why I cringed, but it, I know it's something I need to work on and we all, we all could stand to work on. Um, uh, but it's hard. Well, this was a lot of fun. I okay, like listening to this. I have comments. Kristen has comments too, because we took notes. We took notes. We're a little good at Okay. Academics. So one thing that like I noted, uh, off the jump is that, I think I'm thinking about my comments before the uh, interview. And I think at a place that we are at, it's known for our journalist students. Mm -hmm. And so I think these realities, like what I was talking about at the beginning and what she was talking about are much different, like news media realities. Mm -hmm. I guess for us, I feel like I haven't necessarily been contacted to talk about my work within like the act. I don't want to say like reputable because like some of these places are, it's just uh, oftentimes I'm asked to comment about things that are not necessarily 
about my work. It's more about campus climate or like things like that. So that's why it, I just feel hesitant. Um, I like where she talked about kind of making peace with the fact that when you're when you are doing these sorts of interviews, you are opening yourself up to criticism. So the article that I was quoted in, I definitely did not um, read the comments. Um, and I also loved her technique about bridging. Like that's, I think, so good just in general to have in your back pocket, especially when you are talking to everyday people or sometimes like students say crazy stuff in class. <laughs> need like a way to sort of like yeah that's where my mind and, went was i think that you know, definitely, that's a skill we need as a teacher too oh, yeah, yeah so that's definitely like a really great skill to learn and also the ability to speak clearly and not use a lot of filler words personally when i re-listen to some of our episodes i get so annoyed with myself for like the uhs and the ands and um <laughs> the ums like I just said yeah. <laughs> and I think training yourself not to do that is is like a skill that you need to develop I was very and conscious so, of how much I ummed during that interview because she didn't um at all <laughs> she I know I noted that so still got some work to do on it yeah we it's all, all a skill. Do. we all do and I'd say like doing this podcast has made me um first off Come more comfortable with the sound of my own voice. So I know that that was something beforehand. It's like, oh, I hate like the sound of my voice. Now I'm much mm-hmm. more used to it. And right. um, <laughs> now I'm so hyper aware of the ums. Yeah, I actually w- reflected on like this episode is kind of a meta episode because isn't doing this podcast, you know, a form of, of public interface with an invisible audience, much like doing you know, uh, interfacing with the media, except we have complete control over the narrative, but the audience is still yeah. sort of invisible to us. The one, the one thing that resonated with me that uh, I don't think we've talked about so far uh, was that what she ended with, that it's never as bad as you think. Um, you know, any one interview mm-hmm. is not going to have the highest of stakes. Um and there will always be another That's one. True. So even if you feel like you didn't do great and the floor, you know, we're smart people. We're not going to get up there and, and say something so incredibly dumb uh, as to discredit ourselves. But mm-hmm. and and even if you and even if you do well, challenge accepted, <laughs> challenge oh, accepted. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, and even if you do, they might cut that anyway, because, the no, you know, true. usually if you're doing uh, an interview with someone who's not a student, uh, they want to look like they have a smart person uh, in their piece. So they'll do what they can to make you look smart most of the time. So this episode is brought to you by Synergy. Synergy. In today's world of evolving needs and diverse media environments, striving for Synergy is the academic's best bet at integrating student-professor needs in a globalized, reimagined, and streamlined delivery of vital content. Big data analytics have demonstrated a holistic approach to content delivery that can be enhanced by an out-of-the-box approach to leveraging core academic competencies through a synergetic approach. Synergy! Synergy! As useful as this <laughs> ad itself. I feel loopy because I am <laughs> under so much cough mess. <laughs> we just Synergy! Synergy! <laughs> 
<laughs> we just need more synergistic synergistic atmosphere. This this things. podcast has all the synergy. We're super synergy. For real, what did you guys do for self-care this week? Well, my self-care is happening Nothing. after this recording. We're doing a Sunday morning recording, and I think as viewers know, I'm in uh, some into Dungeons and Dragons. I'm actually in two different D and D groups right now, and the first is meeting directly Nerd after this, and what? the second is meeting after that. So, uh, yeah, it's wow. gonna be a long day of role playing. You're so nerdy. I, know, okay. I have a question. So do you play the same nerdy weirdo in both games, or do you have uh, different characters? Well, one of the games I have a character, and the other one I'm leading, so I don't have a character. Yeah. Okay, okay. He's uh, the yes. dungeon master. <laughs> That's okay. the correct term. I always thought that people playing D&D wore costumes. I quickly learned with my husband's D&D group in law school that they did. They do sometimes, but that's... Well, his friends would just, like, drink yes. beer. That's, that's more play, uh, my speed, the drink beer and... and pretend to be someone else for a couple Life. hours. What, what about you guys? I did nothing. And maybe that's why I've been such in a, like a crappy mood for the last like week and a half, two weeks, because life has been overwhelming. Work has been overwhelming. Um, and though the puppy brings me joy and my little family here brings me joy, I did nothing self-care-ish. And that's a problem. Yeah. Well, we're here to remind you that it's okay to take some time to do self-care. Yeah. Well, what should I do? Like, I feel like I, I feel like the do weather's anything. getting better. You know, go to go take a walk in a take park. A little walk. Yeah. See, I did that, <clears throat> but taking the dog, it's like mm. work. And we, when we go to the park, we take him because we're trying to we're leash training him. We're getting him used to other people, other puppies, and stuff like that. And when I say puppies, I mean all dogs because let's face it, all puppies are other dogs, and dogs yeah. are cute. Um. But yeah, so it wasn't really self-carry. I don't know. I feel like I need to like do something on my own. You just said you needed to get a pedicure. Why don't you go do that? Oh, I should totally do that. Yeah, <gasps> for sure. I love pedicures. It's like my favorite thing. And okay. for me this week, since I've been sick, I um, set my dissertation aside. I've been thinking a lot about it, but I also feel like it's been helpful to kind of clear my head and just try to heal. And so... Again, like I said, I've watched like a billion movies. Um, and so that's been really helpful. So I've uh, allowed myself to just take some time. It's awesome. Me. Sometimes it's your body forces thing. you to, to remember the need for self-care. So I'm glad you're getting it. Yeah, it has a crazy knack for doing yeah. that, doesn't it? Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, I, If you like what you hear uh, and if you have suggestions for things that you want to hear, uh, I would encourage you to check out our Facebook page, Surviving Academia, our uh, website, survivingacademiapodcast.com, and our Twitter handle, sur- at SurvivingPhD. Uh, we love hearing from people. And, uh, you know, I especially am looking for ideas for uh, uh, sponsors, fake or real. Uh, so I'd love to hear some of those, some ideas <laughs> from people. Yeah. Hello, Fresh. We're yeah. talking to you. I'd love some meal kit yeah. delivery. So uh, touch base with us. Uh, hope your week is not as sick as, as ours has been. Uh, and until next time. Keep on surviving. <laughs>
Yeah. Was so, it a squirrel? No, it was a <laughs> mandolin. And I oh, like sliced shoot. my finger. Had to oh, go to like urgent the care. Mandolin kitchen implement, not like yeah. a no, like the instrument. instrument. Yeah, I wasn't like rocking out. <laughs> she was just like really hardcore playing the mandolin. But I like the doctor was like, "Do you need a work excuse?" It's like, "Yes, can you please write excuse her from her dissertation indefinitely?" <laughs> because she played the mandolin a little. Like, too luckily, I hardcore. never learned how to properly type, so I don't even use that finger anyway. <laughs> but like, <laughs> God. Uh, that's fingers useless. We can just get rid of it. Exactly. That's my mom used to say. That's why God gave you ten. <laughs> I want to be like friends with your mom. Good luck. 